are distressed and disturbed. And their hearts are in turmoil, turmoil as they try to digest this news. And so Jesus in our passage responds to settle their hearts. And church, there are times when our hearts are also in turmoil for many reasons. And haven't you been there? When we anticipate or face something that's out of our control or not to our liking, when that rug is pulled under our feet, when a storm surprises us and stuns and shakes our hearts, that's how the disciples feel at this moment. And so in our passage today, Jesus tries to settle their hearts and thereby settle our hearts in our times of uneasiness. He gives us three blessings that will settle our hearts as Jesus departs. Three blessings that will settle our hearts as Jesus departs. And the first blessing he gives us to settle our hearts is the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Verses 25 to 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, two Sundays ago, we were introduced to uh, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus had promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell in believers forever. The Spirit would be Jesus' advocate. Jesus came advocating for God the Father. And the Spirit comes in us now to advocate for Jesus, pointing us to Christ and his truth throughout our entire lives. The Spirit continues Jesus' ministry in believers today. But specifically here, Jesus promises his disciples that when he is gone, the Holy Spirit in and through them would teach them everything Jesus had spoken. Though he is gone, his words they would understand. And not only so, though he is gone, all that Jesus said, the disciples would remember. His words would become clearer to the disciples, more understandable and full of sight. You know, you'll often find in the Bible instances where the disciples divulge, you know, we didn't understand this, or we didn't understand that until later. Or, oh, and then they suddenly remembered Jesus had said this after this happened. For example, speaking of when Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it. John 2, 22 says, when therefore he, Jesus, was raised from the dead three days later, his disciples remembered that he had said this. It was brought to their remembrance. Speaking of Jesus riding on a young donkey at the triumphal entry, John 12, 16 says, His disciples, they did not understand these things at first. Why is Jesus riding on a donkey? But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered all these things had been written about him and had been done to him. See, in their troubled times, the disciples could hold on to Jesus' words. Even though Jesus was gone, the Holy Spirit would bring it back to mind. And eventually these disciples would become the writers of Scripture, the Bible we read, remembering even dialogues between Jesus and characters to write down in the Gospels for us to read, all through the help of the Holy Spirit. In their times of trial, they could hold fast to God's Word because the Spirit brought it to remembrance. Church, even though this specific promise was given to the first generation disciples, by extension, it's a general promise to all believers too. As we now read the Bible, the Holy Spirit teaches us to understand it. He uses it to shape how we view our circumstances in life. He helps us to remember Christ's words when we need it. 
to encourage and uplift us in our times of turmoil, to rebuke us in our times of sinfulness, to comfort us in our times of weakness. Even today, there was much unrest in beginning our church service. The week after retreat, we forgot the adapter for a projector. We're scurrying around to find a PowerPoint. Uh, we somehow left all the chords for our guitar and sound at retreat, so we had no sound, which is why it was, it was soft today, but you guys sing loud. And in those times, we need God's word to remind us, hey, worship is of the heart, not of our instruments. We need the word to encourage us in our times of turmoil, to help settle our hearts. You ever been in a situation when you are just going through a tough time? You're stressed out for whatever reason, be it finances or career, failures in life, sicknesses, relationship issues, and your heart is uneasy and you're troubled. But suddenly you read and remember a timely verse, and it kind of reaches out and grips your heart and steadies it and holds you fast, and it ministers to you and keeps you going for a few days longer. You know, that's not you simply relying on a good memory of Scripture. That is the Spirit helping you. You know, it's not you rummaging through your mental uh, bag of fortune cookie verses and winning the lottery by picking the right verse. That's the Holy Spirit ministering to you by bringing to remembrance the truths of God you need at that time. Have you ever been struck with the beauty of understanding a passage during your own personal devotionals? And it's particularly uplifting to you that day. That's not just a whim of luck. That's not your amazing SAT comprehension skills. That is the Holy Spirit bringing to life the word in your soul, pointing you to Christ and upholding you in his truths at your time. In your time of trouble and hardship, have you ever prayed without knowing what to pray or where to even begin? But man, your prayer time was uplifting and encouraging to you. That is the Spirit who searches our heart and knows what we need and ministers to us with God's truth and fellowship. Romans 8, 28, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groaning so deep for words. You know, church, we're often, attempt, we're often tempted to simply accredit those moments to mere luck or happen chance, but it's not. It's the Holy Spirit ministering to you in your life, teaching you, be it your best of times, or your worst of times. When your heart is in times of turmoil, when you are uneasy of heart, the Holy Spirit ministers to you with God's word. Believers, do you believe that truth? Do you understand that you have the spirit who dwells in you and who wields the sword of God's word to minister to you in your times of unsettledness? Are your hearts troubled? We have a helper. We have the Holy Spirit. Some points of application then is first, since we have the Holy Spirit, spend time in God's Word. Now, how can the Holy Spirit teach us God's Word when we don't look at it? How can the Spirit use it to comfort our weary souls when there's no well of verses to draw from? How can the Spirit bring it to remembrance, bring to remembrance what we need at that moment when our scripture bank is empty? Colossians 3.16 reminds us, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And by so, let the Holy Spirit minister to you by your spending time in God's Word. But also, to comfort your hearts, study God's Word. Second point of application, study God's Word. Now, according to this passage, you have the best teacher in the world. But if you don't study, it don't matter, as I learned in school. You know, oftentimes I think to myself, man, 
If only Jesus were physically here as my teacher, then his teachings would come to life. It would make so much sense. I'd be a godlier and holier Christian. I'd master this Bible. And, you know, all to sit in his classroom and raise my hand and ask a question as Jesus points to me with his staff and says, Cho, what is your question? But believers, in a sense, we have something of the same kind. We're certainly not handicapped. You see, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and in me. God in us, believers. And He helps us to dive deep into the wells of Scripture as we navigate through pages and swim through gems of truth to grow us in our knowledge and love for Christ and His Word, to shape our circumstances and settle our hearts no matter what we face, to store up treasures to remember in our times of need. And so we must study the Word because the Holy Spirit ministers to us through it. You ever feel discouraged from not understanding what you read in your Bible reading plan or your devotionals? I mean, we just went through Isaiah and the Bible reading plan, and my goodness, even for me as a studied seminarian, that was tough to understand. A revelation, that is big stuff to take in. Leviticus, how does that relate to me? Some of you have trouble understanding parables. I know who you are. But it's easy to think, well, no point in trying to understand, check off my Bible reading plan, and you don't even remember what you read. It's so easy to pull out your big gun commentaries like John Piper, Alan Sy, maybe not, uh, John MacArthur, <laughs> Spurgeon, and read, read them to try to understand the passage. But church, pause. Let me remind you, you can study the Word on your own because the Holy Spirit teaches and it illuminates it to you. Sometimes we ought to just wrestle with the text and soak in it in prayer and hard labor of study knowing that the Spirit teaches what, is, what He is saying. And you can know that, do that knowing you have a helper who will come through. You know, one illustration I can think of is the hidden treasure game we played at retreats. Uh, the objective was to find these different colored hairpins that I had hidden throughout the retreat site. And they were each worth 25 points, and you guys just couldn't find it. I mean, I hid it in 30 seconds, but it took you guys three days. But thankfully, you had a helper in me. I had some clues to give out, and as you scurried along pathways and you raked and went through scrubs and plants, you got closer. Some of you even looked at it, but you could not find. So I shed more light upon you as your helper on where they might be, and finally, you all found a treasure. Minus one team, but that's okay. <laughs> Likewise, in a much better way, Christian, you have a helper who helps you understand God's word as you rake and dig and burrow in it and pray for his help. You have a helper who will teach you God's word to settle your hearts and bring to remembrance all that you need in your times of trouble, truths that will uphold you. And that's to free us to study scripture. So the first blessing that Jesus gives in our moments of unsettledness is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uses the word to settle our hearts. But Jesus continues, and he gives us the second blessing to settle our hearts in our times of need. And that is the blessing of his peace. The blessing of his peace. Verses 27 to 28. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. 
the world will define peace as a lack of trouble or a lack of war and conflict, an absence of stress. But the biblical word for peace can portray, yes, a lack of conflict, but particularly portrays the presence of an inner contentment, a wholeness of heart in the midst of any circumstance. So once again, listen carefully. The biblical word for peace can portray a lack of conflict, but in particular, it portrays the presence of an inner contentment in the midst of any circumstance. You know, Jewish people use the word shalom to say hi and bye. And when they're saying shalom, which means peace, they're not saying, I hope you don't fight with your wife, bye-bye. You know, they're saying, I wish you contentment of heart. But see, in the Bible, peace has nothing to do with whether a person has troubles or not. In fact, it assumes that sinful people living in a sinful world dominated by sin will be saturated in stressful situations and hard circumstances. You and I as believers are not exempt from hard circumstances and conflict. The disciples here in our passage are in a stressful situation at the moment. Their hearts are troubled. And Jesus too, mind you, is speaking in the looming shadows of the cross. But peace, his peace he will give to them. And circumstances cannot extinguish it. So what is his peace? How can, we get, how can he give us this inner contentment of heart in the midst of any circumstance that we can experience? Well, first, his peace stems from having peace with God. God's peace comes first from having peace with God. Now, one thing that we have to make clear is that man and God are not naturally at peace. We are at war because peace does not and cannot exist between God and sinners. Romans 5.10 reminds us that if you are a Christian, we were once, get this, enemies of God, children of wrath, enemies of the cross of Christ. You see, God is perfect and absolutely holy. He wants nothing to do with sin. God and evil are like oil and water. They repel each other. They don't go hand in hand. And as sinners, we are everything that he is against. He is of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot even look at wrong. Habakkuk 1.13 You see, we are at war with God and we are his enemies because we are sinners all and God will punish sin. And when the last grain of sand in our hourglass falls and our time runs short, without Christ, the only thing looming is the wrath of God for your sins as his enemy. That should leave us with no peace. Because there can be no peace in our hearts when there is no peace with our Creator. But here in our passage, there is hope. Jesus departs. He's going to the cross. And yet He says, Peace, I leave with you. How and why? Because He's going to the cross. And on that cross, He bears the sins of all who believe. He pays the penalty of sin on their behalf. And he receives the wrath of God as if he himself were God's enemy. And he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, because he bore our sin. And today, if you believe that Christ is the Son of God, that he bore the sins that you committed, and he died on your behalf and resurrected three days later, you will be saved. You will have a restored relationship with God the Creator and peace you will have with God. You know, I like thinking about Christmas time 
even though it's October, because Christmas is a wonderful holiday. But when Jesus' birth is announced, you know, why is it that they can announce good tidings on earth and peace? I forgot the lyrics, but good tidings on earth and peace. It's because only Jesus can bring peace with God the Father. Do you hear that this morning? You will not have peace ever on this earth unless you first have peace with your Creator. You cannot know the peace of God until you have made peace with God. And if you sense of peace, if you sense of peace without knowing Him, it is a false peace that's only dependent upon circumstances. You know, the world can, sure, give you a sense of peace that's dependent on mere circumstances. How much money you have in the bank, sure, it gives you a sense of peace. How well your career is going and has gone, yeah, it can make you feel peaceful. Knowing that your family is healthy, sure, it gives you a sense of peace. But all of that is dependent upon circumstances. As soon as money depletes, your peace depletes. As soon as your career paths derail, your peace derails. As soon as you know a family member's health is in jeopardy, your peace also dwindles away. The peace that this world offers, church, is temporary at best, but it is false because the only thing looming before you when this life ends is the wrath of God. But Jesus, He gives an ever-standing peace no matter what trial you face and circumstances come your way. Because as Jesus departs, He gives the blessing of His peace by buying it on the cross, by first and foremost giving us peace with God, good tidings on earth, peace at last with God. Church, this is a peace that's grounded upon something that nothing and no one can take away, not even the worst of circumstances. And at the end of the day, no matter what you face, God is now your friend. You are a child of God and have a relationship with Him. You know this God and you know Him and that you're right before Him as your final judge. So first, this, stems, this peace stems from having peace with God. That is the root of this peace, and not a fruit. The fruit of this peace is actually experiencing that inner contentment of heart in the midst of any circumstance. See, when God bought peace with God, you knew God. You personally have a relationship with Him. And when you know God, you also grow in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's a peace that comes from knowing God and who He is. Thomas Watson put it this way, God the Father is called the God of peace, Hebrews 13, 20. God the Son, the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. God the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Peace, Ephesians 4, 3. His peace comes from knowing who God is. And it's a peace that comes from staying your mind on God and His character. As a pastor put it, it's the quiet confidence of the soul, which realizes that He, God, who did not spare His own Son, will freely also give us all things. It comes from knowing God and His character. You know, personally, I've had a a really tough week this week, as Tina can attest to. Uh, my workplace has been so busy to the point of not even being able to take lunch, just 10 minutes a day to eat quickly with my boss while meeting. And uh, I got work late past my hours, and I was stressed out, mind feel- feeling fried and obliterated. And then on Friday, I was instructed to, to fire someone, which was really burdensome to me. 
And to see someone so sad when you are the bearer of bad news, that weight isn't easy. On top of that, the weight of ministry on my shoulder, of course, is a blessing, but it kind of added to that area and making me feel stretched. And in an unexpected family emergency in the weekend, and man, did it just pile on. You heard that term, when it rains, it pours? I finally understand the idiom. And I was wondering, man, how in the world am I going to preach on a peace of God when I have no peace right now? When my heart is so shaken. But yesterday I was able to meet up with Dylan, David, and Tony, and it was such a refreshing time. And I was asking them for prayer because I, I just really needed it. And one of them asked me, how do you think God is using this to refine you? And I had to pause and think about it, because that brought me out of my circumstance to think about God. How is God using this week to refine me? What do I know about God? And I had to reflect on who God is, the God I know, that though it's a tough week, God is working for my good. He's refining me, refining me to realize I'm not in control, but through Christ, I know the God who is, and I can cast my burdens upon Him. Refining me to see that though it was a tough week, I know God through Christ. And God is all wise and all good. And He's using this to make me depend on Him more and not my own strengths and abilities. And man, was it peaceful to think about and stay my mind on Him. You see, knowing God in the midst of any circumstance can ground you because you have peace with Him, you know Him, and you know Him, then you know the God who's in control. Through Christ, I'm at peace with God and therefore... I have a God I know who controls my circumstances, and I know his character and trust who he is. I might not like what I'm going through, but I know he's doing it for my good, and peace I find, and I did experience. Now perhaps your heart may be in turmoil too because of circumstances you face. Like me, it could be that your work week has been so out of control, difficult, and stressful to the point that your chest squeezes so tight and you go home just feeling so stressed out. It could be that you're facing difficult health problems in your family that doesn't look too promising. It could be as simple as difficulties and hardships of training your children to love God while they display their sinful tantrums or as they go through their sicknesses and your patience is tested. It could be your anxiety about the future and how it beholds a mystery you cannot see. Perhaps your heart is unsettled because you are fearful of tests you have coming up. Know this, Jesus Christ has bought you peace with, with God. And you might not be in control, but because of Christ, you now know the one who is. And you can trust him because he gave his son for you. Know this, your heart can be content in whatever circumstance because at the end of the day, there is no one who can take away what you now treasure most, God himself. At the end of the day, when all else goes awry, the one foundation and truth you can rest on is peace with God. And God I know, the greatest burden has been lifted because you know the God of peace. Some points of application then in your times of unsettledness is to pray. Philippians 4, 6, 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If your heart is uneasy, pray. Go to the Lord that you know in prayer because you can in Christ's name. Because you're not in control, but you trust and know the one who is. Pray in your times of uneasiness. 
but also second, meditate on God more. Meditate on God more. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. If God is the peace, God of peace, the more you bask in him, the more of his peace you will experience. Because you'll come to know his character more. And you'll keep your eyes on him as your anchor in the midst of any circumstance. And so meditate on God more, not your circumstances. So the second blessing Jesus gives to settle our hearts as he departs is his peace. Peace with God and knowing the God of peace. But before we move on to the third point, in verse 28, Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Uh, Now, he's telling the disciples he's departing to the Father. And I just want to explain how the Father is greater than Christ so that there's no confusion. So no one thinks, oh, wait, is God, like, is Jesus not God? If he's God the Father is greater, etc. God the Father is God, and Christ the Son is God. They are intrinsically equal in worth. But remember, Jesus at this point in time, though he was in the form of God, Philippians 2, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. But now he's telling his disciples, I'm finally returning to where I belong, to my father's spear, where I will again have undimished glory. And the disciples, he says, should be happy for him because he gets to be what he was before. So it does not mean that God is better than Jesus but that Jesus is returning to where he belongs, where he will again have the glory he had before he came to earth, no longer in his humiliation. And so hopefully that makes sense. Jesus is, God is not greater in terms of worth, but greater at that moment in terms of Jesus' humiliation. So Jesus gives the blessing of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of peace to settle our hearts as he departs. Lastly, the the last blessing Jesus gives to settle our hearts as he departs is his confidence. The blessing of confidence, verses 29 to 31. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go. From here, Jesus tells his disciples exactly what will happen as he goes to the cross. So that when it all takes place, the disciples can be confident that it was God's plan all along. He wants them to remember when all is said and done, that what happened was exactly what he said. That in the midst of his departure, they can be confident that he is still sovereign. What Jesus is about to do by going to the cross doesn't catch Jesus off guard. It isn't against his will, but it's all according to his plan. Jesus' death on the cross the next day is not happen chance. And it would not be because Satan devised a great plan, but because God devised a great plan. And I declared it before it happened for the salvation of mankind. And because Jesus predicts these things, the disciples can have confidence that God is sovereign over everything they'll face. And that can ground them. This departure that the disciples thought to be their greatest tragedy would actually become their greatest triumph because God had planned it. And they could be confident that it was God's plan all along because he said it. Likewise, Christian, for whatever trial you're facing, 
Be comforted in knowing that God is sovereign over all things and all circumstances. Are you wondering where God is in the midst of your health problem? Are you wondering where God has departed in the midst of your confusion about your future? Are you wondering where God is in the midst of your pains due to miscarriage or due to relationship issues? In the midst of your clashing family dynamics, are you wondering, Jesus, where did you depart to? Where were you in the midst of my accident? Where were you in the midst of my strife? When school is too much to handle, or work is troublesome. When career has derailed from where you want to go. God, where are you? Where did you leave? Where did you depart to? Christian, he's right where he should be. His plan all along, reigning from on high, sitting on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. He is weaving his sovereignty and providence through all events in your life. And as tough and hard and trying it may be for you, be confident in him and his plans and his words. He has already declared to us, Christian, you will face trials of various kinds. In the world you will have tribulation. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You'll be grieved by various trials. Man is born few of days and full of trouble. God has already told us and said it. We will face trials of various kinds. But be confident because he's also said this. After you suffered a while, the God of grace will himself restore, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He says, rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, there is no accident on earth. Nothing happens by chance in your life. Everything is providentially weaved together somehow and some way as blessings in disguise. And so be confident that everything you face fits in God's sovereign plan. And let that confidence settle your hearts. He was a prominent Chicago attorney, in fact, a longtime friend of Dwight L. Moody, who lost the majority of his fortune in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. It was a difficult tragedy, no doubt, but not nearly as difficult as the death of his only four-year-old son just a few months before. And all of that was followed by an even greater tragedy just two years later. His family had scheduled a trip to Europe for November of 1873, but at the last minute, by virtue of some business concern, he was delayed by unexpected developments that required his attention. So he sent his wife and four daughters on ahead of him to meet them a few days later. But on November 22nd, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, their French steamship collided with an English iron sailing vessel, and it sank in 12 minutes. Several days later, the survivors were finally landed in Cardiff, Wales. And from there, his wife sent him a telegram with the painful words, Saved alone. Shortly thereafter, he himself left by ship to join his bereaved wife. And somewhere along the journey across the Atlantic to, to meet his wife, where his four daughters drowned, Horatio Spafford picked up a pen and wrote these words. 
When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, so trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and have shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. You know, what can settle a heart going through trials such as that? The Holy Spirit bring and teaching him the words he needed for comfort. It's having peace with God and from knowing the God of peace. And it's a peace that comes from a confidence that though it stings, God's good hand is in control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and behold you as our anchor. Lord, we know that you're a God who is good and gracious, and you teach us amazing truths that we can hold on to and be grounded by. We know that we are people who go through various trials of many kinds, whose circumstances in life make our hearts uneasy and unsettled. But Lord, first and foremost, may we reflect upon the gospel to know that you have purchased peace with us through your Son. And not only so, but because we know you and your character, we can be confident in you and who you are and your truths. So steady our hearts as we reflect upon not our circumstances, but upon you. That we would worship you and live life in light of you as our solid rock. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.